yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This episode, it's Deadwood. My name's Dan, and I have a tattoo of the Deathly Hollows behind my left ear. My name is Jimmy, and I passed a science class with a final project about time travel. My name is Jeff, and my great-grandfather once drunkenly ate a sandwich made with his baby son's diarrhea. <laughs> Not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> It's a it's a family story. It could remain in the family. Yeah. But it's a fun fact. So if you have any... We don't have any reviews right now. But if you have any time, you should leave us a review, a rating. Send us an email at talkmeinto at gmail.com. Or tweet at us at talkmeinto. Every episode, the three of us tell each other and the audience what we're talking ourselves into. It's not a big thing. It's not going to fill an episode. Yeah. Could be a little thing. Maybe we're not even like gung-ho on it, but, you know, it's just something we're trying to better our lives in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this week, I'm trying to talk myself into soda alternatives, oh, like that's a good seltzers idea, yeah. and like kombucha Ooh, and just I, ooh, I just had kombucha for the first time ever yesterday. What's your opinion on it? It was weird but interesting. It I is. liked it. Yeah, I can't get into it. And really, I hate it. Yeah, but I try <laughs> it. I, you know, I go to these because like I love soda. I love the bubbles. I yeah. love the fizzes. Me I too. love the mouth feel, the throat feel. It's just effervescent and lovely. We almost had a show called Soda Discussions. That <laughs> was something we were talking about <laughs> yeah. because we all like soda. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, seltzer I don't like because it's so bitter and like Lacroix is mm. just the essence. How do you even do it? I don't yeah. understand. And you know, sometimes I'll make my own and like put some kind of like sugary syrup, but that defeats the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, like. I go to a lot of these uh, conventions for work. A lot of them are food related and they'll give you little samples of like kombucha and you take a sip and you're like, okay, that's refreshing. Yeah. I can see that. But then I bought a bottle that was like a Dr. Pepper ripoff. Yeah. Like it's a, I forgot what it was called, but of it was kombucha. Yeah. It that was like horrible. Dr. Pepper flavored. <laughs> it was awful. You take yeah. like a sip and it just tastes like it's, it's almost just like drinking straight vinegar and yeah. it's, the, just the idea of like the the weird disc of mold that mm. causes it to exist. I don't know. The mother. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm not. So ask me about my interaction with kombucha. Dan, what's your interaction <laughs> with kombucha? The first time I ever tried kombucha, I was with my sister and her at the time boyfriend, who's now her ex-boyfriend. Uh, we purchased it on his recommendation. We were driving home. I took a sip of it. I hated it immediately. I thought it was disgusting. I put the cap back on and was done with it. Oh. No, not going where you think you're going. Uh. Moments later, he decided to open his bottle, which was warm. <laughs> it's not supposed to be warm. And as he released the pressure, <coughs> it, it geysered uh, out yeah. of the top it of the does bottle that, yeah. all over my car, all over the windshield, the dash. Three quarters of the bottle was out of the bottle. Yeah, because I follow nice. I follow some uh, YouTube channels that make their own food, and one of the guys makes his own kombucha, yeah. and it's common. It's just the the pressure just yeah there's causes fermentation it. in yeah. there. Mm. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's not my bag. Yeah, I only had it once. I thought it was weird, but interesting. Yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, what are you trying to talk yourself into? I am trying to talk myself into reading more, just books in general. It's oh, a good one. That's yeah. a really good one. I like it just, that. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to read some more books. I have a big bookshelf full of stuff. Right now, I am reading On Writing by Stephen King because I want to inspire myself to That's start writing more. It's a goodie. Yeah. Um, I have some time at work at night. Uh, I don't have a lot of stuff to do, so I bring a book. And it's a great way to fill your time. And I've been enjoying it. Maybe we'll have to talk you into some books soon. The art of the deal, maybe. Who knows? No. Danny. 
yeah. keep talking yourself into. I'm talking myself into a monthly product subscription service. Mm. Oh, like specifically, Blue No, that's food. Oh. I'm talking about, not a sponsor, Bespoke Post. Okay. You've probably seen the ads on Instagram. For bicycles? No. Oh. Bes- Don't know what this is. Oh. Well, I'm here to tell you. Bespoke Post is a service that offers you a monthly subscription. You are presented with the option of choosing from several boxes. They're geared towards the man with distinguished taste. Oh, this guy. Oh, boy. This dapper, anachronistic <laughs> human. Yeah, basically. Um, It's a hipster subscription box, basically. Okay. But yeah. there's some enjoyable things in there. So I've been seeing the ads for a long time, and I just started looking into the fine print and realizing that it's actually not too bad of a deal. Each box costs about $45, and um, you have the option of choosing from four boxes each month. You can also customize them a little bit by adding things or whatever, but you also have the option of not getting anything, and they don't charge you. So you could literally just have the service and look at things until so you, you find something you want. So you can just buy a box when you want to. But if you're a member, it's a huge discount. Uh, okay. So the plan was I'll sign up for this and I'll say no like 10 times until I see something that I really want. And then I'll say yes and I'll pay the $45. Yeah. I said yes the first time. So they've got me. <laughs> oh, did you get the box in yet? I did. It just came in the mail. Yeah. It's really nice. It's, um, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's a DOP kit. Basically, it's like- Never a, heard of it. It's a travel bag that you would use for your like hygiene products. Okay. And it came, so it's a nice bag. It's a nice waxed canvas bag with leather handles and trim. And inside of it, it came with all kinds of different things like- a small bottle of like, of course, it's like artisanal so- toothpaste and like handmade soap, uh, pomade. But this it's is nice. right up your alley. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's a nice thing to have. I realize that I don't have anything like that to travel, and I have. I mean, if you buy those things separately, the bag alone could cost forty five bucks. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I you know I'm not mad at it. Um, I have a bad fear that it's going to become a monthly thing though because. I also like two of the other boxes this month. What were the other options? So the other one that I was interested in was a foraging kit with an all-purpose knife, a book on foraging. You would never bag. forage once, <laughs> never. ever. Last year, you would have said, I never would ride a bike, and I'm riding a bike. Things are changing in my life, Jeff. Wow, so you're just going to go out into the woods and forage. Well, now, now I'm not because I don't have a foraging kit. But when you do, you're going to go forage? <laughs> Just go to a local market. They do it for you. They do the foraging for you. Jeff, as someone as frugal as I know you are, don't you, aren't you romanticizing the idea of being able to walk into the woods and get free food? I am very frugal, but I also will spend more money on quality products at a farmer's market. What more quality could you have than growing free and wild? Because I'll get something poisonous because I'm well, stupid, Dan. that's why I'm not doing it. I'm not going to phantom thread it. Hungry boy? That's why I'm not foraging yet, but one day I might. Okay, that's good. What's what was the other box? Now uh, I'm curious. There was a, this one you would really appreciate. It was a nice wooden spice rack oh. that was also <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> it was also magnetized. So it looked sort of old fashioned and handcrafted, <sighs> but it came with little tin spice shakers that would magnetically lock into their place. I have those and they're on the side of my microwave and they're so convenient. Yeah. I love them. And they give you spices. It came with a basic pack of like cumin, turmeric, garlic powder. I him- got all the Himalayan basics. I got salt. plenty of those. Yeah, yeah, but it was nice. It was a nice little kit. What's the name of this again? Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post. Not a sponsor. I wish they were. Please sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's what I'm talking myself into. Okay, fellas, so this week, I am going to be talking you into the HBO Western series, Deadwood. Okay. Which aired from March 2004 to August 2006. Oh, it's that old? Yeah. It was that short? Back. Oh, yeah. Three seasons, <laughs> oh, yeah. 36 episodes. One of the better prestige TV drama series 
of this current run of prestige TV drama series that we're experiencing. Of the last 20 years? Yeah, the golden age of television. So you would put this in like the top five or ten? Definitely the top ten. The only reason that I wouldn't put it higher is because I don't think it's spoilery to say that it was not resolved properly. I did know that. The series was canceled after season three, and it unfortunately ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. And I believe, aren't they coming out with a movie? Well, here we are. Wow. (laughs) To keep things topical, we decided to do this episode now. I decided to talk you into to Deadwood because maybe this series is going to get bumped into the top five by the movie that is coming at the end of May from HBO. So is this like a end of the story? They've already said this is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This will be resolution. I have a feeling that it's, you know, it's. 13 years later so they're not going to pick up where they left off yeah but hopefully we'll find out what happened after the series and fill in some of the gap so i know nothing about this show neither do i so danny yeah what's the show about so deadwood is set in the 1870s in deadwood south dakota um sort of begins before the area was annexed by the dakota territory so it's prior to right. statehood. Okay. Yeah, it was just like will not wilderness, but it it was it was not a state. Yes. Um so it was it was basically a boom town um due to gold mining. Yes. So it got flooded with people, but it was still only a territory which makes it lawless. The perfect setting for a western. Um it's rooted largely in historical facts of what we know. And includes many real historical figures, Mm -hmm. such as the main characters. Um, The series predominantly follows the character Seth Bullock, who was a real-life resident. Um, He was a sheriff of the... I forget where he came from. Somewhere in the Midwest, who decided to leave all that behind. And it gets into why he left that. And basically open a store selling mining equipment. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, entrepreneurial uh, dream. He moved out to Deadwood where there was a demand and wanted to set up the store and make some money. Okay. Um, It also stars his sort of friend slash enemy. Some would say frenemy. (laughs) I've heard the term. Al Swearingen, who was a real life person who ran the tavern, basically, the uh, saloon of Deadwood. Okay. And he was the de facto boss of the area. Um, His position afforded him the rights. You know, he had a fortune. He had enforcers. A lot of uh, seedy underbelly of Deadwood ran through Al Swearingen. So that's sort of the crux of the series. And it gets into a lot of minutiae. It's a big ensemble cast. Um Probably the most famous characters that you may know from real life that do show up in the series and play a pretty significant role are Buffalo Bill. Hey, this is Jimmy Beck from the future. Dan actually meant to say Wild Bill and not Buffalo Bill. You know, the ramifications could have been endless, could have created a paradox, but yeah. All right, gotta go. And Calamity Jane. You okay. probably have heard the names. Yes. Yes. So they show up in the series. And uh, yeah, it just sort of shows the the interplay between a man of the law who's trying to put that past behind him mm-hmm. and live in this real lawless place. And he's coming up against this force of nature, which is Al Swearingen, who's got his fingers in every aspect of vice in this community and it's just about so it's like a cowboy mob yeah well it's yeah basically and (coughs) is this town big enough for the two of them can seth bullock classic can he bury his instincts for law and honor and doing right in the world can he keep that inside bottled up in order to just be a regular guy and run this store and make a living for his family so it's kind of hard to sum up this series. It's uh, profoundly written. It was created, produced, written, um, showrun by um, David Milch. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Heard the name. 
Uh, or am I thinking of David Price? I don't know if you're thinking of David <laughs> Price. Um, David Milch sort of got his big break on NYPD Blue, but he's worked on a lot of prestige sh- stuff. Um, Hill Street Blues back in the day. Um, he's gone on to work recently on adapting the third season of True Detective. So he's had his hands in a lot of stuff. He's he's an awesome dialogue writer. What you guys will notice, a big standout feature of this series, is the way the characters speak is a lot more from what we have based on historical writings, how people back then would have spoken. Mm. So um, there's a frivolity to it that we don't hear as much. Are you talking about vocabulary yeah. or actual linguistic speaking? No, I'm not talking about the manner of speaking or the intonation. I'm talking about the vocabulary. That's cool. Um, nice. Like you've all seen in pop culture, like letters from the Civil War era and how beautiful and eloquent people were, even like yeah. less educated people. Mm-hmm. So imagine basically a traditional Western showdown between two people who are speaking in beautiful, flowery language, and they may be drunk at the time. I like it. And very, very profane. <clears throat> I believe, I don't know if they currently hold it, but at one time, Deadwood had the record for most F-words in one episode. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, it was voted number eight on a two thir- 2013 TV guide list of 60 shows that were canceled too soon. So basically, everyone mm. realized that the show should have gone on. Apparently, it just didn't get the ratings that HBO wanted it to. Mm. So um, it's got a great cast. Ian McShane plays Al Swearingen. Timothy Oliphant plays... Seth Bullock, and there's a lot of character actors that you will recognize when you see it. What I'm asking you guys to watch are the first four episodes of Deadwood. Season one, episodes one through four. They're available on HBO Now, HBO Go, Mm -hmm. and they're actually also available on Amazon Prime. I think it's a holdover from the old HBO Amazon deal. Okay. So check out episodes one through four. Um pay attention to uh you know the language the acting okay i can dig it and let me know what you guys think yeah i will tell you there's a lot of depth to this series it's pretty dense there's a lot going on a lot of subplots okay that's fine i watch game of thrones i know what's up give it a fair shake sounds good and when we come back we're gonna find out if i successfully talked you guys into deadwood Yeehaw, partner. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Earlier in this episode, I asked Jimmy, Jeff, and the listeners to watch four episodes of the HBO series Deadwood. It's been a couple weeks, and I think we've all accomplished said task. So, fellas, let's talk Deadwood. Okay. What'd you guys think? I mean, you want to go episode by episode? Yeah, let's you go want episode to do general thoughts? Yeah. It's only four episodes. Let's just... Yeah, we can do episode by episode. Okay, so episode one, titled Deadwood, which premiered March 21st, 2004, a long time ago. What'd you guys think of this episode? Uh, well, it starts out in May 1876, like you said, right after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Montana. It's Timothy Oliphant. Elephant? Oliphant. Yeah, I didn't know Oliphant. he was in the show. I like him. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that yeah. you're like, yeah. oh, I, I like him. I didn't know he's in the show. Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot his character's name, actually. Um, Seth Bullock. Seth Bullock, yes, yes. And um, so he's from Montana. And he's moving to Deadwood, South Dakota, um, to start up a hardware store. Mm-hmm. And he's a man of the law. You find out in this first episode, it starts out that he just arrested somebody for stealing a horse. And then uh, a gentleman named Clell. And I was just saying off mic that I've made notes about every character because <laughs> I didn't know who was going to be important. And it turns out Clell is not important. <laughs> but you didn't know Seth Bullock's name, who is the main, <laughs> the main character. character. I did write it down, but like right now, I just forgot. Um, so before we get to like the actual plotting, one thing I noticed after rewatching, I haven't seen this show in years. Um, this show predates the whole prestige TV thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Sopranos was first, yeah, I was about to say, Oz, but it's first. right around there. Yeah, yeah. And to me, you could definitely see it in the opening credits. Oh, for sure. The theme song and the weird, just like vision, like imagery yeah. of it's like very a stream. 
Yeah, but it's also pretty low budget. And like the imposed text over the screen, like where it gave the year and stuff like that, looks pretty cheaply done. Yeah. But but continue on. But also at that time, what else, what other shows were doing this? Not many. No. Um, So, yeah. So then you find out that this is a man of the law. He's moving to a lawless area. Uh, This horse thief, he pretty much, instead of handing him over to a mob, allowed him to die with some dignity and uh, helped him hang himself. And then him and his buddy just... Going too fast, Jeff. Okay. I thought that this was like one of the best opening sequences to a pilot that I can remember. I love the fact that there's not the, the typical debate or like, like obviously the first they try, the guy tries to convince Bullock to let him out and like mm. hatch some sort of a, like a scheme to like make some money or whatever. Yeah. But it becomes pretty clear when the mob comes that um, there's no debate as to whether he's going to die. It's really just the manner in which he's going to die. And I like that Seth Bullock is willing to put his life on the line just to uphold the law. He, you know what I'm saying? The guy's going to die either way. He could have right. easily just given mm-hmm. him over to the mob. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought that was a really cool opening sequence. And I thought some of this earliest dialogue between Bullock and, and uh, Clem in the jail is, like, very evident right off the bat of of how striking the dialogue is in this series. Like, the yeah. manner which they speak is really cool. Yeah, the dialogue in the show, I I believe, is the strongest point for It's not me. really jarring, though. No, no. no. It, it doesn't feel like... like you, you described it as Shakespearean. I saw a lot of people describing it as Shakespearean. I, I didn't, didn't feel that, that no. at all. It's it's eloquent, though. It's elo- I, I would agree, but I, I'm just going to s- state my piece. This feels a lot like... This came out after, but it felt a lot like Red Dead Redemption, the video game, the cowboy... Uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto type of game. Yeah, I've never played it. Yeah, but I'm a cowboy. Yeah. Um. So there's there's actually a character which we'll get to later, which is like clearly based off of a character in this show. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um. But we'll get to that as we get there. All right, Jeff. Sorry to interrupt you. You can continue. All right. So they they have their little Oregon Trail wagon packed up with all mm-hmm. their hardware goods, headed out to Deadwood to buy a plot of land to build a hardware store, yeah. and they join a caravan. Uh, very, very different than the caravans invading America right now. But <laughs> they they join a, a caravan which has the likes of Wild Bill Hickok. It's different and in that Calamity it actually. Jane. It's different in that it actually exists. Yeah, that's that was yeah. my point. Uh, <laughs> I, I really like that scene when they were driving into Deadwood, with just like looking at everybody and they're all kind of just scowling at him. And I was like, oh, these are the kind of people that are going to be here. What did you guys think of your first impressions of Wild Bill and Calamity Jane? Um, I thought Wild Bill was going to be the bad guy because it sounds like a name that it's like, oh, he's Wild Bill. Might be. I don't know. We're only in the first episode. Yeah, we're only in the first episode. Um, But at first I was like, oh, he's interesting. And uh, as as we go along, I think he becomes one of my favorite characters. Well, he has a reputation, too. Yes. Everybody knows him. He's famous. He is is famous for... He's the most famous person in Deadwood. He's he's, uh, an entertainer and... uh... A bad boy. Yeah. And Calamity Jane, I found her like immediately likable. I thought she was funny. She oh, was, I didn't like her in the beginning. Oh, she was loud she was annoying. and brass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's supposed to be. I mean, though. but yeah, like yeah. Her, as a person, I wouldn't like her. Yeah. The actress did a good job. And as, yes. as a character, she injects right. some, some mm-hmm. humor and excitement into it. It's also fun to see her paired with Wild Bill, who just seems perpetually hungover and aggravated. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they make their way into uh, Deadwood. And then we also meet, uh, early on, Al Swearingen, who at first you're like, he's the bartender. He's going to be the guy behind the bar that people like confide in. Yeah. Or just like, maybe they just have some like info dumps where they're just talking and he, he'll be that. But then you oh, find out no. that he's much more than just the bartender. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, you find out, I was just writing as I was watching, so I wrote, oh, this is a whorehouse. Oh, he's a pimp. Is he a real estate broker? Like, what's he has his fingers and everything. He is like, he's the like guy. like the mafia would be in uh, in New York. Yeah, Al Swearingen is reminds me. He was definitely based off or uh, there's a character in Red Dead Redemption called Dutch Vanderlyn that character wise he looks very very similar. He's a bad cowboy. Yeah, he's a bad cowboy. Um, but he's um personality wise he's not exactly the same. He's not as menacing as Al Swearingen, but. Yeah, so I, I love Al Swearingen. In a later episode, it talks about basically 
why he's in charge is because he basically got to the camp before anyone. It says that him and Dan were still like felling trees in the middle of what is now the road. Right. Mm-hmm. They, so, they created this small little camp. Yeah. And it, you basically see that th- here's a guy who knew that he wanted to like make a name for himself and basically like take advantage of people. And his way of gaining wealth and power was not to do what everyone else did, which was rush to Deadwood to get a gold claim and basically mine for gold. No, he wasn't interested in that. He wanted to like swindle and fleece those yeah. people. Yeah. So he's basically like Jeff alluded to. He's in charge of everything. He's you know the gem is basically the only as the series opens. It's pretty much the only drinking establishment, whorehouse, gambling. He's in charge of all that, and he's also in charge of renting out the new plots, yeah. which brings him right into conflict with Seth Bullock and yes. his partner, Sol Star. Yeah. I don't remember what happens next in the episode. <laughs> so one thing that came up later that I really liked was um, the the grift, sort of, that they show between Al Swearingen using his accomplice E.B. Farnham, who runs the uh, the local inn. Yeah. And they're, yes. they're basically ripping off the wealthy Brom Garrett, who's new to the camp. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a city boy. Yeah. And, with huge financial ties and family ties. Yeah. Yes. And they're basically trying to fleece him out of as much money as possible right, for yeah. this gold stake. And um, I really like the way they handled this whole grift of, like, the way they were playing him and, like, um, starting a bidding war and stuff. Sometimes these types of things can get confusing, but I thought they did a really good job of of showing without telling. In other words, like they don't tell you like, okay, EB, this is what we're gonna do. They just start doing it, and you clearly pick up what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that whole thing shows how conniving Al Swearingen in Swearingen is. He makes twenty grand off the deal. And he only pays the Irishman Tim Driscoll twenty dollars, and then basically he tells Dan Doherty to kill him. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of that whole? Sequence? Well, that's what really shows you like how greedy he is and how he doesn't care about anybody but himself. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't care. He's just going to kill this guy because they settled on the price of fourteen thousand. But he tried to help elsewhere in Jin, got him up to twenty grand, and then just because he almost ruined the deal, he kills him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But it, he made six thousand extra dollars on it. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So then in the episode, um, a little bit later on, um, there's this whole subplot of a family that was traveling out of Deadwood. Yeah. Like going to be going back home, is attacked and like basically like slaughtered, slaughtered. on the road. Yeah. A guy rides into town and says that it was uh Native Indians. Americans. Yeah. yeah. Natives. And um, sort of whips the whole town in, into a fury. And I like that. You start to see Seth Bullock's like intuitive, like detective nature. Like he immediately like calls bullshit on this whole situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so sort of a posse forms to go ride out. And- yeah, Seth Bullock and Wild Bill go out. Um, spe- specifically those two. Um, they they what do they they have to like go into um what was it the gem that they go into where they're kind of like trying to riot a mob to go out and uh see no it was one of the other like gambling establishments oh, okay. but then later on um when when jane finds out that bill and seth rode out she goes into the gym okay yeah yeah and th- this part i really love because right before she storms in basically like the word is spreading around the camp that you know this stuff went down and they're gonna go ride out and um al gives this great speech Basically, to keep people drinking and gambling rather than have them go off after, you know, the murderers. Oh, yeah. I love the the God rest their souls of that family. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's the new old. That's the old thoughts and prayers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's clearly like throwing his weight around to keep these guys spending money. Yeah. With, rather yeah. than join because he doesn't care. He, he doesn't care at all. Mm-hmm. And then so he finally like gets the crowd to calm down by offering them like a round of drinks and, you know half off women yeah yeah and then jane comes busting in and is like what are you all a bunch of cowards come on we're going and she basically whips him into going anyway yep yep so then uh uh while bill and seth bullock uh show up there and they 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 see the slaughtered family but they also find a little girl 
Oh. Um, the one that uh, Calamity Jane was uh, winking at before. And uh, so they, they get her and bring her back to the doctor um, along with the guy who um, who originally saw the family. And Wild Bill and Seth were uh, skeptical about uh, if he was the one to possibly slaughter that family. And as they were kind of like intimidating him, they were afraid that he was going to attack him. So they both shot him. And uh, Wild Bill had my favorite line ever would would that be me or you, Montana? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Which in and of itself is pretty crazy because if you know anything about Wild Bill Hickok, he was known as being a professional gunsman. Yeah. He was a fast draw. He even did like stage shows about his like shooting prowess. And the fact that this nobody sheriff mm-hmm. was able to like draw as fast as him was pretty impressive immediately. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, that's when the episode ended, I believe. Yeah. And... uh I yeah. did notice that the doctor is played by Chucky. Chucky. From Child's Play. Oh, you, oh really? you get him from there. I, yeah. I'm i like, oh, that's Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Oh, yeah. Same actor. Oh. I forgot about he that. He always plays know. these smarmy, greasy. Yeah, dudes. he's real greasy. Um, so at the end of the episode, a couple first impressions I had of the entire series is that there's no score throughout the episodes there's only music when like they're in the saloon and like a piano oh, really playing. i didn't notice there's there's mm. nothing that there's a couple of pieces sometimes uh, I, I did write down um i really score like the theme only song. when music is needed or mm. being played but generally there's no like underlying yeah music I, so you, I think that makes the music that is in there a little bit more powerful it does but then you're also left to just play off of the actual scene because mm-hmm. when scores are used to elicit emotions um for foreshadowing to tell you something's about to happen to get you in a certain feeling and there's none there so you're just going on the actors alone um the other thing that i noticed is that um even moving forward in this episode too uh the series starts out with Seth Bullock and I know that he's like a big name, uh, the actor himself. Mm-hmm. And you think that it's going to be focused on him, but you quickly realize that it's this not. is 100% an ensemble and mm-hmm. every main character has their own piece of that pie, which yeah. for this time and prestige TV, as Dan has said, wasn't really a thing. Like, especially with antiheroes, you had Sopranos and you're following Tony Soprano. Mm. He's the focus. Uh, Breaking Bad, you have Walter White. He's the focus. Mad Men, you have Don Draper. They're all, all the characters are important, but those are the focus. This doesn't have that. Yeah, Um, I I would say it does to an extent, but not as much because I would say that he's maybe like third or fourth on the character list. Yeah, Yeah, this almost feels like an Al Swearingen show, in my opinion. As I of can right see now. It. He's very charismatic. Yes. I will say that as it goes on in later seasons, it even becomes more so, like, storylines become more evenly dispersed. Okay. There's characters that are introduced in this episode that are barely even in it that rise to prominence in later seasons. Okay. And some characters that get introduced in later episodes as well. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just an observation I made. No, I think it's a, I think it's actually a good thing. It's one of the things I really like about the series. Um, I felt it a little um, off-putting, probably just because I'm I'm more used to TV shows that only focuses mo- mainly on one character. I'm like, oh, there's a lot happening right now. I have to pay attention and like write down notes. And uh, as as we're getting into episode two, it, it was kind of funny because it was harder to take notes for the show because I kept on getting swept up. I, I the took story. less and less notes. The first half of the Me page too. is episode one. Yep. And then the bottom half is episodes two through four. Yep. Um, just because I, I figured we'd be talking about it. And like now I know the characters and I know mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. I think the show does a really good job of sucking you in. Oh, for sure. And just getting you involved because it's weird. Um, Like I talked to you guys a little bit off mic. I haven't watched the show in years and I like wanted to do this as a subject because I remember liking it and I wanted to do a rewatch myself before the movie came out. Mm -hmm. But I, it's one of those things where like when you look back on it in hindsight, you know, a lot doesn't jump out at you. Mm -hmm. It's, it sort of just moves along. It doesn't have a lot of big standout set pieces. It's a pretty slow burn, but um, yeah, there's not a ton of action, but as I started to watch it, I got really hooked again. Yeah. So do you guys want to move on to episode yeah, two? Yeah, episode two, um, the idea as presented was, was this family killed by the Sioux as presented, mm-hmm. or was it uh, an inside job yep. by road agents? So is there a conspiracy brewing, Dan and Jimmy? Oh. oh. 
I think it becomes pretty clear early on. Yes. That it was road agents. Yep. Who work for Al Swearingen. Yep. At some level, they give him a kickback. Yep. Um, so the poopy does hit the fan <laughs> as they show up, and Al is not happy that they he have not. botched this whole job. Yep. And we get to see some menacing Al moments. What'd you guys think of some of these scenes in Al's office between him and um I forget what the guy's name is. Um Tom Mason and his partner. I don't know if they ever give the partner. Oh, I name. liked it because yeah. it was Ron Swanson swinging his ding dong around. Yeah. Nick Offerman. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. That's so weird. <laughs> I don't want to know what his wiener looks like. I wrote in my notes, <laughs> this is weird seeing Nick Offerman's wiener. <laughs> I had no idea that was him. Oh, that's crazy. Um, I, I, I did write down, um, it's not every day you see some wiener on TV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the other thing I really liked about this whole interaction is you get more of E.B. Farnham, who we met a little bit in the first episode. This guy is the ultimate greasy weasel. Yeah. If you thought the doctor was sketchy. Oh, he's skeezy. E.B. Farnham from his nasty hat, his jacket with the rips all over the back of it. Well, I mean, you find out the doctor isn't really that skeezy going on. Uh, moving moving forward. You might find out some more about the doctor. <laughs> wow. But in these four episodes, I agree with you. He's he's sort of a... He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's what it kind of seems, yeah. I think he's trying to be a good guy, but his main clientele are all bad people. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, he seems to be doing the best he can to take care of the little girl and protect her along with Jane's help. Um, I really liked Jane's attachment to the little girl. Mm -hmm. She seems to – she has this gruff, tough exterior – but inside, she has a real concern for yeah. people who or are Or is she hurting. just, like, bonkers? She just seems emotionally all over the place. I could see that, too. I mean, I, I guess I could see that in that <laughs> that time period where she is. Yeah. Like, it can cause some craziness. I think her thing is she's definitely, and it's a little bit alluded to in future episodes. Like, I think they mention it in episode three or four. She has a lot of trauma in her past. Okay. And... uh I don't think she's good with coping with it. And she basically alludes to the fact that she was assaulted by men as a child. She's, you know, she refers Mm. to Al Swearingen and says that she's been done for by men like him when she was younger than the little girl, basically. That's right. I do remember that. In this episode, you also see that Wild Bill has a shaky hand he's trying to hide. So he's got something going on and he doesn't want it to be known. Yeah, there's a little bit um, more. I mean, we've seen already in episode one and then in this episode two a very similar simil- eh, very similar condition with uh, Alma Garrett. And her condition is clearly pointed out to be an addiction. That's yeah. the wife of the, the yes. guy. Yeah, she's addicted to, oh, Laudanum. I forgot what they called it. Laudanum. Yeah. And uh, she's got the shaky hands too. I can't remember if it's in this episode or episode, I believe it's actually episode four, but... They show her reaching for a pot of coffee, and she's got a similar shaky yes. hand. Yep, yep. And, uh, yeah, uh, Wild Bill takes note of that. So I don't think he's on drugs. They never show that. I think he's got a, bad, a bit of a drinking problem as well as – he's an interesting character that we could delve a little bit more into. It's clear that he's a little past his prime, mm-hmm. and he's been married and has headed to Deadwood under the guise of wanting to – get a gold claim started and set up more of like a settled life. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't really seem interested in doing that. He seems more interested in just gambling and drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And seems pretty unhappy with his lot in life of being a washed up gunslinger. It reminded me a lot of seeing like eighties rock stars who survived their drug and alcohol days and are now just like walking around, not knowing what to do with themselves. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of it goes to, to the actor as well. I thought the actor played him amazingly. Uh, he definitely has like, a prominence about him in that show. Yeah, Keith Carradine, brother of David Carradine. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So um, one thing I love about this episode, I actually remembered this from my first initial watch, was this is the episode where we get the first verbal showdown between Seth Bullock and Al Swearingen when it oh, comes yeah, to yeah. – purchasing the permanent lot to build their hardware store. Yep. 
You guys remember this when they scene? were at the table? At, with Saul yeah, at too? the gem. Yeah, and uh, Saul was playing peacekeeper, and ooh, yeah, it got scathing. There is no love lost between the two of them. Yep, I thought the show handled it really well. They're, they're basically balancing on a razor's edge between like being cordial and business like, and being combative and just making clear that they do not like each other. Yeah, I'd agree. Um. I had forgotten that they got off on such a bad foot so early, but it became clear that they basically never were like friends each other. with each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really like that um, this show definitely sprinkles in characters that become more prominent later. Uh, yeah. This was the first uh, instance I saw. Um, I don't remember the actor's name, but I know him from... He's uh, one of the... He's the dad of the character on Raising Hope, uh, Bert. Yeah, he's also in Sarah Connor. The oh, yep, he was on the Sarah Connor Sarah Chronicles. Chronicles. Yeah, he's a character actor. <clears throat> um, hold on, I have his name right here. So, uh, the character's name is Jack McCall, and he's played by Garrett Dillahunt. Yes, the name yes. that just sits on the tip of everybody's <laughs> tongue. Yeah, weird piece of trivia for you. For some reason, they cast the same actor to play a different character much later in this series. Really? Oh, really? I huh. don't know why, but huh. yeah, that's. I guess weird. they just liked working with him, and uh, <laughs> that's funny. Well, he had the the droopy vagina eye. Yeah, but yeah. That you know, that's makeup. That's not really the actor. I, yeah, I know. Um, but I like him as an actor. I thought it was cool to see him this kind of role. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just like a drunk gambling. Yeah, nobody guy. Yeah, yeah. I, this show is kind of hard because I felt it was a really slow burn, in my opinion. Not a lot happens in these episodes. And it's not ever, when you're watching Game of Thrones, you can talk about like an episode individually, whereas with this show, it's kind of like the entirety of the story. There's no there's no like one episode where, oh, this happened. Yeah, like you're saying, you're saying happens. the talk, but like I didn't even know that happened in episode two. I just I just know what happened kind of in that order. So like mm-hmm. if moving on in episode three, that's when the saloon starts to open up. OK, across so the let's street do that from the gem. And Al Swearingen doesn't know about it. And this whole entire caravan comes in with this really nice looking saloon sign. And they have money put behind them. And it's the Bella Union. Yeah, it's it's going to be his competitor and will put him out of business. So he does not like it at all. Yep. Yeah. I love the effect that this new saloon moving in has on Al Swearingen. It's the first time. It's the first time that you see him flustered. He's not the lion, like the king oh, of this jungle. Yeah. He's worried. He's like, yeah. these people have something that I don't offer, and it's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this scene that you referenced early on, as far as uh, Garrett Dillahunt's character, he has an argument with Wild Bill Hick- Hickok at the pool table that I yeah. really loved where – Obviously, he's using, he's losing, and this character Jack McCall is like rubbing it in his face, and Wild Bill Which just goes off on him. Which isn't the first time he's done it. Yeah, but Wild Bill yep. always kept his cool, and then he goes off on him. And he's yeah, basically yeah. to me, he seems like he's provoking a fight. He seems like he wants to get a reaction out of Jack McCall, and luckily, cooler heads prevail. But there's definitely some bad blood between them, which we see play out. <clears throat> In the next episode. So there is a lot that happened in this episode, like uh, the saloon opening up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not sure if it's this one or the next one, but you find out that EB is kind of like working for them because yeah. he's like real sly and Al sees him walking in. And then he tries to play it off like he's actually just spying on them. And he um, is terrified for his life. Oh, yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. terrified. But this is also the episode where um, I, I still can't remember the guy's name, the New York guy. Uh, Brom Garrett Brom where he finally figures out <laughs> I got swindled yeah, there's yeah. no gold in this claim yeah I want my money back and I want to hire Wild Bill to kill Al Swearingen well first he wants to hire Wild Bill to talk to Al Swearingen yeah but his his end goal is he wants somebody if needed to kill him for him and then when that doesn't work out um wild bill basically brushes him off yeah he says he doesn't want to be a part of it mm-hmm. um so then garrett could, plays his last hand basically he confronts alan just calls him out on it and obviously al plays dumb and he's playing the peacekeeper like oh why don't we have dan come out there and help you out well what i wanted to get at was that before you know al was just basically saying like you know you made your decision whatever live with it 
Then Garrett puts his cards on the table and basically threatens Al with the Pinkertons. Yes, I did oh, write that yeah. down as well. Yeah, and that's when Al starts to backpedal and talk about having Dan go back out and re- reconnoiter the rim. They which, said reconnoiter quite a few times, which is such a great <laughs> term that I is. never heard before this show. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the word, but I've never like thought about it. Ever. I love that the episode title is reconnoitering the rim. Yep, yep. So yeah, so. Garrett takes that to mean like, oh, it worked. I intimidated him. He's he's gonna go back out with me, and then if if worse comes to worse, I'll get the, I'll get the uh, Pinkertons out here, mm-hmm. and I'll get my money back. I love his, how his wife is like, oh, you know, we should just go back to New York. We should yeah, just, like, like not... see these sites. They wanted to go traveling. Yeah, yeah. Just count it off as a twenty thousand dollar adventure. <laughs> yeah. Which, then... Do you know how much money twenty thousand dollars was in that time oh, period? I it's know. a lot now. I wish I had it. Yeah. Yeah. So. um and then uh, he he goes off, goes up in the mountains, and well, Al tells Dan to he just says make it look like an accident. Yeah, yeah. so um, sad. It's like <laughs> this guy thinks he won, and Al was really just backpedaling just to get the guy f- to feel comfortable. Well, yeah. I mean, like like Jimmy said, this is kind of just like one long movie we're watching, so I don't remember where it falls into place. But I mean, Dan eventually does throw him off a cliff, and we'll it's talk in about this that. Episode. No, this that's one, in this yeah. episode. But Dan also was sent to kill that girl and he had he like didn't want the little girl and he didn't want to do it yeah and you could see like he has this internal tr- like he doesn't mind killing people but mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't just do it brainlessly like yeah. he doesn't want to kill a little girl yeah um but in this case he didn't care he just threw this guy off the the cliff mm-hmm. walked down there he was still alive i didn't know what was going to happen because he was talking to him like Oh, it's okay. You just had a little fall. So I was like, maybe he'll just like leave him there. Maybe he'll bring him back. And like, he fell. Let's get him some help. And then he just smashes his head into nothing. Yeah. Uh, You know, Dan Doherty is an interesting character for me because I think that judging from the way he talks about Al and the way Al talks about him, I think he's as much swindled by Al as everyone else is. I think he came to the camp with Al thinking they were going to be partners or somewhere near a more level playing ground. And over the years, just task after he's basically task, just his henchman. yeah, he's been reduced to Al Swearingen's muscle. And yeah. I, I don't think he's confident enough to put ripples on the pond, but yeah. I agree with you, Jeff. I think he definitely has some moral scruples with what he's being asked to do. Right. And then and while he's smashing his head in, uh, a fellow prospector who owns the claim next to this claim sees Bobby it from Supernatural. In the dark. Yeah. Well, I don't watch that. Maybe yeah. not the tongue is it? Uh, yeah. uh, um, Ellsworth is the prospector's okay. name. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Brom Garrett is dead and super dead. The best irony of the whole situation is in the process of killing him, Doherty discovers actual gold at the site. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me is, oh, that's just a sick joke. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the next episode, Here Was a Man, um, basically opens up with Doherty bringing Brom Garrett's body back into Deadwood. How did he explain that his head was repeatedly smashed, though? Because, like, that won't happen from just a fall. <laughs> I didn't even think about that until right now. I mean, you don't know. He could have hit rocks on the, he- on the way down. Uh, the doctor examined him and was like, you know, medical science was limited back then. So the wife, Elma Garrett, asked the doctor if there was any signs of foul play. And the doctor's like, well, there were no stab wounds and there was no gunshot wounds. So, yeah, that's basically as much as he can right. tell her. She she was basically a skeptic, though, as soon as he was brought back too, though. Yeah. I thought th- I thought this was a strong episode for her. We've seen her throughout mm-hmm. the series. Yeah, this is when you really see her. I mean, you've seen her in the background just doing drugs and be- yeah. being yeah. a wife of the time. She's been relegated, which is exactly their purpose. I think this was done really artfully. She fulfills this role of what a woman would have been like. like right. Literally, she's seen doing nothing but sitting in a window, looking out a window, basically. Yeah. Sitting in a hotel room forever. Yeah, yeah, doing nothing. They didn't even have air conditioning back then. Oh. No, and she looks hot all the time. <laughs> she's between the drugs and sitting in this cramped upper room. She just constantly like the, beaded with sweat. All of the clothing that they're Oh, wearing. yeah, layers yeah. of clothing. And she's got super long hair, like, down to her butt. Um. I mean, this is another thing we haven't really gotten into, but I I think the production design and costuming on this show is really good. Very Everyone's good. dirty. Yeah. yeah, it's this show does not seem like a show. This seems like a movie. 
Right. You get into mm-hmm. some Westerns and everybody has like these really nice costumes. And you're yeah. like, they would be dirty. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they didn't really bathe much. Even the little things like Al Swearingen, he wears a suit, sure, but it's the same suit every it's, single day. It's the same suit and underneath it's the same dirty long johns. Yeah. He's, just, he's not wearing a nice shirt and tie. He's just wearing a suit over dirty long johns. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think- I think it's really done well. I love Wild Bill's outfit. It's like a lot more fanciful. You could see that he has a background in like stage or acting. He has this fancy, like more Mexican cut suit with um, he wears like a sash around his waist and like a wide brimmed hat. Anyway, what else happens in this episode, Jeff? Uh, either in the end of episode three or in this episode when Wild Bill and McCall were playing poker, uh, he McCall lost everything. And Wild Bill gave him enough money to go buy breakfast, kind of as like an F you. Yeah. Like you run your mouth, you win. Here's some money for breakfast. So that's definitely how Jack McCall took it. I thought he was actually being honest. What did you think, Jim? I thought he was legitimately saying like, hey, like it seems like Wild Bill's been in that situation. And he was like, hey, go buy yourself something to eat. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that Wild Bill hates him. You know that he doesn't like him. You can see in previous episodes when McCall is taunting him, he's like, he might not say anything, but he hates it. It's boiling him mm. up inside. I, I don't think he hates him. I think he's... Uh, a, I think he hated those moments. Yeah, but I mean, it, if, but you he, can, if he hated him, would he be playing poker But with you him can possibly? also see like in the... Well, the, he's a gambling addict. When, yeah. when he was helping Bullock build the hardware store and they were all... Everybody was like working. There was another, like a fan of bills it's like i saw you in hartford and i saw you here and you were doing this and then another guy comes up like don't bother the man and then he was like i'm a fan too yeah and wild bill didn't really give him the time of day and then he became belligerent yeah and it pissed off wild bill so much that he had to excuse himself yeah he just left so to me this is like a really interesting look at celebrity culture and like you get to see the nuisance of how everybody wants to mess with him like they're yeah. all out to like pick a fight with Wild Bill. Yeah. Because then they're the one who picked a fight or they're the exactly. one who, yeah. who was in a gun. That's fight why to them. me, the scene where he offers him the money for breakfast, I took it as Wild Bill thinking, Hey, I went a little overboard yesterday when I went on this verbal tirade against you. I don't know. Maybe I'm I think just it's being both. optimistic. I think you're being yeah. optimistic. I think that deep down he hated McCall and he it's kind of like if you have a bad experience at a restaurant and instead of leaving no tip, you leave a penny. That's oh, so what it's you like. You think it was a, a, like an, a slight like, hey, you got nothing. Here's this. Right. Like I did that once. Like I had such terrible service. I'm not going to get into <laughs> the situation, but rather than leave no tip, I purposely not even on my card. I didn't leave a penny. I left a physical penny on the receipt <laughs> as a you did a bad job and I don't like you mm-hmm. like that. I think that's what it was. He I has stacks that. and stacks of money and he gives him one poker chip. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. Uh, the this show has a lot of great lines in it, but this episode in particular has one of my favorite lines of the series, and I recognized it as soon as it came up when Al McGarrett goes to find Wild Bill and Calamity Jane basically like bumps into her and and like says she's basically saying like oh I'll go get you know Bill for you, but the quote I wrote it down was. Um, he, she tells Alma to wait in her room for Wild Bill because, quote, it'll take a it'll take him a while to get the phlegm situated. <laughs> that is such a Deadwood line. That's good. I love that. She had a lot of good lines, and I, I didn't write any down, but there were a lot that yeah, that's were how they really are. Good. It's like you could easily just pass over them, but if you take notice, they're so good. I would, yeah, or I would you love just to read ignore the them, but then you think about it, and you're like, that is phenomenal. I would love to read like the script. Yeah, because the then show. they have to get the delivery down. It was yeah, it was and so good. much of it, like Al Swearingen's lines, are so fast. You know, there's stuff in there that's like gold that you're just missing. Yeah. So should we get to the end of the episode or oh, yeah. is there anything else? End of the episode, Wild Bill's playing some poker with the boys. And out of nowhere, McCall shoots him in the back of the head and he falls on the table and dies. Yep. Was it in the head? I thought it was in his back. No, nah, I shot him behind the ear. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's and right. And I right. did not know that was going to happen. And Me I was neither. like, I thought this was a main character. Yep. Yeah. Why are you dead now? Yeah. I had the same reaction the first oh, time going, I saw no, the show. I was like, show. Game of Thrones. Yep. And I, I mean, wrote I, that down. I'm I like, know, this is Ned Stark all over again. <laughs> I know oh, Wild Bill is a real person. And I was like, what? 
So I Wikipedia it, and that's what happened. He yep. usually sat against the wall so he could see people coming in. Yeah, this was the only seat at the table, and he happened to have his back towards the door, and he didn't see Jack McCall come in, and boop. Yeah, you think this guy is going to be one of the heroes? You see this partnership forming between him and Bullock, and then a nobody doo doo brain, yep, comes out and shoots him in the head yep. and makes the lamest getaway attempt and is quickly captured. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's why I wanted to make sure we saw this episode when I was trying to figure out which episode. For yeah, you guys I think to this watch. was a good. I think it was a good yeah. closing. It felt like a movie. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, and I love Jane's reaction. She doesn't do the big, big overdramatic crying or anything like that. Um. She, like I said, she's clearly had a lot of past trauma. And, um, I mean, they did a pretty good job without coming out and saying it. You guys took notice over the last few episodes and caring for this little girl. She's been cleaning up her act. I don't know if you noticed that, but. Mm. A little bit, yeah. I yeah. can see I that. Can see, I mean, she just, I don't want to say motherly, but she is. She's definitely. She's settling down. And she's definitely. not on the booze. She makes a reference to that. And she's making comments every time she swears about, oh, I owe you a penny for that one. Yeah. And now Wild Bill's dead, and the first thing she does is grab a bottle and start drinking. Oh, yeah. Um, Want to get to overall thoughts about the series? Yeah. All right. I'll start it off. Uh, overall, I really like the characters. Al Swearingen is definitely becoming the dubious villain, villain of the series. Um, Seth Bullock is basically lawfully good in a not lawfully good place. Um, but also a little bit, uh, maybe a little too trigger happy as we saw a couple of times. They get into a little bit more murkiness with him too, because they delve into if this guy has these beliefs and if he, you know, wants to do good, why is he turning his back on a law Mm -hmm. lawful life? Basically. Yeah. Uh, I really liked wild bill. I thought he was an interesting character. Um, the acting was phenomenal in the show. Um, even just the side characters had a real impact on the story, which is a sign of a really good writing team. Uh, the dialogue of the show is definitely stand out. Uh, I wouldn't call it amazing, but it, it definitely, um, but it's nice to have a series where the writers really take time and think about what the characters should say. Yeah. Um, and at some points I was de- getting total red dead redemption vibes, which was making me really like it. Cause that's one of my favorite games. Um, really good story in that game. Uh, the negatives I had about the show is that it's a really, really slow burn. Um, I I think that every episode is, is it just seems like it's characters trying to coexist with each other, and uh, Al Swearingen kind of uh, picking them off when they're uh, not doing too well. Um, and it, it's just kind of funny that at least like it seemed like there was a death per episode, mm. and then it's like oh, there's somebody died. Next episode, they're going to a funeral. Somebody died. Next episode's going to a funeral. At least in the first couple episodes, it was like that. Um, I wouldn't really call that a negative. I just thought that was kind of yeah, a funny observation. I think it's a good way of showing that life is pretty cheap in Deadwood. Yeah, it's really no big deal for Al Swearingen to kill someone. Yeah. So yeah, those are my overall thoughts. Jeff, what did you think? Uh, I didn't write anything down, but I think we covered pretty much everything. It was it's very well produced. Yes, like we mentioned, it's very well acted. Like we mentioned, you are right in that it is slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that. I have no idea about anything in this show at all. Me neither. It's almost like I'm watching it air live. I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, it's old enough where nobody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't ever, I, I remember it being popular, but I don't remember anybody saying anything about it. You're not going to get spoiled by pop Nothing's going to get spoiled. Yeah. So yeah. like maybe when this movie comes out, uh, I, I still don't think just because the way things are now, whole seasons are released in a day. Um, mm-hmm. people just consume media differently now. And we're consuming an older show that was meant to be seen weekly. Yeah. Um, binging it. Uh, so I think I think everything I've said covers. I don't really have anything profound to say in the pros and cons. So there's two things I wanted to bring up before we get to the big old question. The big old question. One thing is related to what Jimmy said, which is talking about the writing and stuff like that. And um, if you were talked into it, I would encourage you to check out. There's a short documentary. Um, I don't know if it's available online, but it's on the special features of the Blu-ray box set that I have mm-hmm. that talks about the unique way that this show is written. Yeah, it didn't follow a standard writing room format. It was basically, um, I mean, I, th- I guess they broke the stories in a writing room, but then um, individual writers went off and wrote their episodes. But then they went through a, a, a second pass by David Milch, the, okay, the showrunner. Yeah, so it's really interesting, and it gets really into like how he wrote, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. 
he would like lay on a floor in front of a giant TV screen. And <laughs> I don't know, but it's unique. So he only has a few episode writing credits, but he basically did a pass on every episode. Mm-hmm. Is he the executive producer? Yeah. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, he was very hands-on. Um, the second thing is Jeff's alluded to a little bit not knowing about the real life stories behind some of these characters. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but one cool thing, if you want to do a, it's not a conspiracy theory, but if you want to do a deep dive, a lot, almost all of these characters. (laughs) Keep that in, Jim, please. (laughs) Almost all of these characters are based on real people from history. Right. I did look up Seth Bullock, uh, not, not to see what happens to him. Just to see if he was real. And yeah. that dude has the dopest mustache, mustache of all time. <laughs> yeah. It is so thick yeah. and big. Yeah, so Seth Bullock, Al Swearingen, Dan Doherty, Charlie Utter, obviously Wild Bill Hickok, you know, I saw, all these people. I saw a picture of Timothy Olfant in the movie, and he has that mustache. At least oh, pretty similar. My yeah. God. But now I know he's alive, so thanks for the spoilers, Jim. Well, I mean. So, anyways, a couple things to keep in mind. But I guess none of that matters if I failed. So what I want to know is Jeff and Jimmy, did I talk you into Deadwood, the HBO series? Yes. Yes. Woo! I had a good feeling. Yeah, it was really good. It definitely falls under the uh, prestige television. Uh, I was immediately hooked um, after that that first the shooting of the guy on the uh, on the horse. I was like, oh, that's cool. This is going to get dope. I think what hooked me, because like, it was good. I was watching. I was like, all right, this is good. I'm enjoying this. Uh, I actually watched this two weeks ago. I had the weekend to do nothing. Yeah. Uh, so I just stayed home, and I watched the four episodes in a row. And as soon as they shot Wild Bill Hickok, I was like, oh, man, now you're pulling me in. <laughs> so I continued to watch more, and I'm on the last episode of the season. What? Because yeah, oh, I did nothing last week. Good job. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because I – I was taking notes and paying hard attention to first four, or if I was just like maybe lost a little bit of attention. But uh, it's good. It's not. It's not like the greatest show. No, it's not um, my favorite show. But yeah, like I really if it was like on it. weekly, I'd probably probably just watch it. And like, okay, that was good. Yeah, I'm not blown away by it. Maybe the last episode of season one will do something wacky. But like, there's some cool stuff moving forward. Um, yeah, it's it's so a good show. It was hard to figure out how many for you guys to watch because I think you picked a good number. This show definitely has large overarching plots for each season. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think if you stick with it, there's stuff in future seasons and season two and three that you'll really like, especially season three. Well, I mean, like I've watched uh, I'm on episode like 10 or 11. So like I was here to see what's going to happen with Jack McCall. I wanted to see that. I wanted to see how like the saloon Mm -hmm. thing was going to play out. So I was invested enough in those themes and those stories to continue so let's just say i'm going to tell you one thing to wet your whistle for future seasons (laughs) let's just say right now we're seeing a bunch of these little basically little small interest peoples battling and scrounging around for money but the word's getting out that deadwood has a lot of gold and what's going to happen in future season is how do these little backwoods messed up characters deal with large corporate interests from the east to that uh, move in right i mean there i while looking it up i saw that deadwood at its highest had thirty thousand people living in it yeah that's a lot of people that's pretty much as much people as the town that dan lives in now uh it's a lot of people for a small little like pretty much one street town back yeah, it's then. camp so i'm glad i talked you guys into it jimmy Yes. We're teaming up next week. Yeah, we oh, are. Oh, no, I've never been teamed up on before. Cuz friends, we're doing it. We're doing it hard. Next week, Dan and I are going to be talking Jeff definitely into our one of our favorite bands, one of my favorite bands, the Beatles. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be It's going to be tough. I'm going into it with an open mind like I have other things before, but not a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. Jimmy and I love the Beatles. Yes. I've been listening for a long time. I think I got you into the Beatles. Yes. We'll get into it more next episode, but uh, definitely one of my favorite bands and one of the most influential bands of the entire music industry. Yeah. And Jimmy, what are we asking Jeff and the listener to check out before the next episode? Just one song, right? Yeah, yeah just, just one song. Yeah, I'll she listen loves to it you. Now yeah, and we'll yeah, yeah. It. That's all you need to listen to. It's her, it's her best song ever. 
Um, we are going to be talking Jeff into four albums four. and a documentary. And, I know. Oh God, I went easy with you guys with conspiracies <laughs> and touche and more. I got to listen to four albums and watch something. So Jimmy, we are going to talk Jeff into the albums with the Beatles, Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and Abbey Road. Yes. And, you know, we'll get into more of why we chose those next week, but we wanted to sort of cover... All a, of their bases, Yeah, the a broad part. retrospective. Hmm. Yeah. I cannot name you one song from any of those albums. You'll know them when you get You'll there. You'll know sure, a lot of I'm them. I'm sure I've heard them. Yeah. And then we're also going to have you watch a documentary on Netflix called How the Beatles Changed the World. It's a 2017 film that covers pretty much their whole career. And I think it'll give you a good look at, you know, behind the scenes things and maybe get you to appreciate the music a little bit more. Okay. All right. So if you're listening to this, please check out those albums, watch the movie on Netflix, and be ready to have your socks rocked off in the next episode. Until then, Jimmy, where can they find us online? They can find us at Talk Me Into, Talk Me Into on Facebook. And subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all that fun stuff. Rate and review us on iTunes so people can listen to us. And then maybe we'll get some money. That'd be nice, right? Yeah. Uh, you can, If you feel so inclined, you can also send us an email at talkmeinto at gmail.com. Jeff, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at J-E-F-F-F-F-F-27. And on Instagram at Large Hardon Collider, where I post pictures of food and stuff. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at the much less exciting Danny underscore breakdown. And you can read my even more unexciting or less exciting, if you will, film reviews on letterbox.com under the name Danny Breakdown. And you can find me at son of a fitch, S-O-N-N-A-V-A-F-I-T-C-H, and son of a pics on Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? Two Love of us you. riding. Uh, <laughs> we both said two songs. <laughs> you said two of us. I know. Do you want to do that? We could do it. I Let's... like I like how it went. <laughs> yeah. Just, okay. just keep that. Okay, bye. <laughs>